This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The exploration of space is relatively new, isn't it? I mean, in the grand scheme of things. We see and hear reports of the advancement of those who want to further our reach beyond the stars in our own universe to reach other galaxies. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly amazed at what some scientists and, in fact, business people have accomplished. Elon Musk, for instance. Now, I know he's had his problems, but he's been able to send a rocket into space and then have that rocket return and land upright, ready for another relaunch. Back in the 50s, these were simply dreams of spaceflight. And so the science fiction shows that back then, we were pretty close to realizing what was to come. And one of the most popular shows in the mid-50s was Dimension X. It was not until the 50s that science fiction radio really hit its stride, even as science fiction was beginning to appear on television as well. Dimension X was not the first adult science fiction series on radio, But the acquisition of previously published stories immediately gave it a strong standing within the science fiction community, as did the choice of well-established and respected writers in the field, Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, and Kurt Vonnegut, to name just a few. Tonight, we hear the story about the crew on board a spaceship who have all lost their memory of how to start their engines and are stuck on a foreign planet. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of a future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, Junkyard, by Clifford D. Simak. The funny thing about the whole thing was the fact that we had never intended to land on Planet Nine. We circled it and decided it was strictly a low-grade affair. It wouldn't amount to anything for a billion years or so. 
As commander of a galactic survey team, I couldn't waste my time on it. Then my exec saw this junkyard through the telescope. We landed. Took a look at a load of alien machine parts discarded by some other spaceship, and then prepared to take off for Earth. It had all been a waste of time. Engine room, MacGyver. This is Commander Warren. All secure? Yes, sir. Very well. Count down for blastoff. Engine room ready, sir. X minus five. Minus four. Minus three. Minus two. Minus one. Fire. Mac, what's wrong down there? Well, I, I don't know, sir. Brady, get the data analyzer ready. We'll have to correct for a new takeoff time. That's the first time I ever heard of engine failure before takeoff. Well, better before than after. Engine room? Yes, sir. What's happening? You boys ready yet? No, sir. Well, burn it, man. Get going. I want those engines started. Sir. What is it? I, I don't quite know what to say. Well, say something or I'll have you busted. We can't start the engines, Commander. At least I can. Well, why not? I don't know. Klein, put Klein on. Lieutenant Klein, sir. Lieutenant, what is going on down there? Is there something wrong with the engines? No, sir. I've double-checked them. Well, then let's get them heated up or we'll be on this godforsaken planet the rest of our lives. We can't do it, sir. Klein, suppose you tell me exactly why you can't start the engines. Can you do that? Yes, sir. All right, why? Because, sir, we can't remember how. What? Yes, sir. We've forgotten how to start the engines. Lieutenant, report up here in one minute. Bring Dr. Spencer with you. Yes, sir. All right, Brady, where have you got it? Got what, Iron? Don't play innocent. You and I have been doing planet surveys together for 15 years. You carry enough dead weight in grain alcohol on every trip to keep you happy for a million light years. Now, obviously, the boys in the engine room have gotten into it. Impossible. Where is it? I got a few pierce in my locker, but nobody's touched it. I checked a few minutes ago. Well, then somebody has got some in the engine room. Come in. Lieutenant Klein, sir, I brought Dr. Spencer as ordered. Well, hello, Doc. Did Klein here tell you what's going on? He did. How long will it take you to get these guys sobered up? I can't. Why not? Because they're not drunk. I tested Klein in my office. Now, wait a minute, Doc. Are you trying to get me to actually believe that these men, intergalactic engineers with years of hyperficient experience, have forgotten how to start the engines of this ship? That's right. You... You're serious? Dead serious, Ira. Something, somehow, has caused these men to forget how to start the engines. There it was. It fit in perfectly with a lot of other annoying little things that had been happening to us ever since we put down on Planet Nine. It was to have been a routine exploration of a low-grade, uninhabited planet. Some routine exploration. All right, Klein, now listen to me. Do you have manuals aboard? Engineering manuals? Yes, sir. Take the engine room boys and study those manuals. They'll tell you how to start the ship, won't they? Yes, sir. Okay, get going. Doc, I'd like you to stay here with me and Brady for a minute. Okay. Report back to me, Klein. Yes, sir. Okay, Doc, you're supposed to be an expert on space medicine. What is it? I've never seen anything like it, Ira. Brady? Search me, Captain. I've seen them with space blues, alien psychoses, the works. But I've never seen a disease that could make a crew forget how to start the engines. Maybe it isn't a disease. Okay, what then? Maybe it's a deliberate thing. You mean they're faking? No, I know Klein and the others too well for that. I mean, maybe there's some outside influence. Doc, we've surveyed this planet from top to bottom. We know there isn't a living cell on it. What about the junkyard? What junkyard? Oh, he means that pile of rusty space engine parts we found. The boys nicknamed it the junkyard. He's right. Somebody put it there. Well, we know that another spaceship landed here. We know that from the blast marks on the rock. We know that for some unexplained reason, they took their engine apart and tried to put it together again. We know they succeeded in building a much simpler engine... 
leaving a lot of spare parts, and we know that they took off. The blast-off marks tell us that, too. What we don't know is whether or not they left somebody behind. Or something. What about that stone tower, Ira? The boys looked it over. It's just a pile of stones. They probably threw them together as a shelter while they were rebuilding their engine. Oh, that sounds too simple. I don't like that tower, Ira. Why not? I don't know. It was scary. It had that black look about it. The smell of death. I felt it when I walked past with Klein and MacGyver. Oh, that's the Selton, you banshees and spooks. I still don't like it. I need a drink. Skip it. We should be ready to blast off in a few minutes. Engine room. Engine room. What's going on down there? Engine room. Lieutenant Klein. Daddy. Is that you, Daddy? Did you bring me a present? Daddy, I'm scared. Holy mackerel, that's Klein. He's gone off his rocker. Klein. Doc, I think we better get down to that engine room. When Doc examined Klein, he found him to have the mind and memory of a six-year-old. That's it, Ira. Something drained Klein of his memory. And that's as much as I can tell you. Well, that's a big help. Here's the manual he was reading. Well, at least we can follow this manual and get off this stinking planet. Hand it to me. Right here. Anything wrong, Ira? Is it all there? It's all here, Doc. This is the engine manual that tells all about the engine. How they operate, how to locate trouble, how to fix them, how to start them. Well, what is it, then? You're sweating like a pig. All of a sudden, I can't remember the symbols. Doc, I've forgotten how to read. I left the engine room and went out through the lock to stand on the outside platform of the ship. I looked over the junkyard where the metal of the rusted engine parts gleamed. There was a riddle there. A riddle we hadn't been able to figure out. Why had an alien spaceship landed here, ripped out its engines, and then put together a simple, less efficient engine and taken off again? And they had worked in an awful hurry, judging by the mess they made. Why? Why? Mind if I join you, Ira? No, help yourself, Doc. How's Klein? We've made him some toys. He's playing with them. I've assigned Mac to see that he doesn't hurt himself. Doc. Yes? Have you got any ideas on what's happening to us? Well, man experiences incidents, gathers knowledge, knows emotions. Then, as he grows older, he begins to forget those experiences. Forget that knowledge. That's what life is. A long series of forgettings. Here, on nine, in some impossible way, the forgetting is speeded up. It happens overnight. Oh, there's more to it than that. Well, I'm going back to my cabin and try to get some rest. Is that you, Ira? That's me, Badu. What gives? We're in a jam. There's been planets I wouldn't mind being marooned on, you know. But this ain't one of them. There's something here, Ira. I can feel it. I can feel it myself. Maybe we should have looked around more. Klein looked around. Klein was the one found that tower. Maybe that's why he did. He said he didn't like it. He said it scared him. In the morning, bad ears, we'll go and see that tower. (laughs) 
In the morning, I took Doc and McIver and Brady with me, and we walked across the valley to the stone tower. It wasn't much of a tower. Maybe eight or nine feet high, made of rocks piled one on top of the other. Mm. Pretty solid. Well built and odd. Type F culture, I'd say. Did anybody bother to look inside this thing? MacGyver, you were here with Klein yesterday. Yes, sir. We couldn't find a way in, Captain. Klein poked around but gave up. Well, we'll make a way in. Stand back. I think I can shoot the top off it. Oh, now that should be big enough for a man to lower himself into. Okay, pass a rope around my shoulders. Uh, Captain. Yes? In case there's anything, well, dangerous, maybe I ought to go. After all, I'm survey engineer. MacGyver's right, Ira. Okay, Mac, your responsibility. Yes, just fasten the rope under my arms. Mm -hmm. That's it. Now, I'll climb up and lower myself in. If I pull twice, haul me out. One pull means okay. Give me a hand, Brady. How about a quick shot of whiskey first? Never touch it. (laughs) Brady. Yep. Can you see inside? Black as a tube. I'm going to lower myself. Pay out a little rope. Well... It's been lovely. Here we go. One tug. He's on the ground inside. I wonder what he's found. I still don't like it. Oh, Brady, there's probably not a thing in there except the... Two tugs. Brady, come on, haul him out. Brady, carry him through the top. Right. Easy now, Mac. What the heck is in there, anyway? Mac! Mac! Dada? Dada? Holy jumping asteroids! Doc, he's flipped! No, he hasn't lost his mind. He's just reverted to babyhood. We stood there at the foot of the tower, stunned. MacIver sat on the ground, happy as a clam, playing with his fingers and talking happy little nonsense syllables. Doc, take a look at him. Make sure that he's okay physically. Check. If it's fright, his pulse will be way up. Mac, let me have your hand. That's a good fellow. Now. Good heavens. What is it? I... I've forgotten what the normal pulse rate is. Pulse. Pulse? Doc, let's get out of here. Brady, pick up a guyver and bring him back to the ship. Come on! Let's get away from this tower. A few minutes later, Brady and I sat in the captain's quarters. He didn't do much talking, just sat and tipped his bottle to his lips ever so often. Well, at least we know in a general way what we're up against. Do we? We know there's been knowledge lost, important information forgotten. Check. Now, that memory, that lost skill, that knowledge went somewhere. Maybe there's something in that tower that takes it away. And I have a silly feeling we might even get it back. Have a drink. That is... Get a couple of men, volunteers. Now? Now. What for? We're going to find out what's inside that tower. We lowered a rotating infrared movie camera into the tower, took some pictures, and went back to the ship for a look. There was something in there, all right. Now, as far as we can determine, this thing we photographed, is shaped like a watermelon standing on end. The movement of the hairs all over it suggests vibrations, such as an antenna of an insect. Underneath are wires leading to terminals that seemed 
plugged right into these things. You think it's a form of life? My guess is a combination of living organism and machine. After all, man and machines work together. The difference is that man retained his individual identity. Well, since it doesn't locomote, somebody or something must have put it there. Exactly. It looks like some kind of communication organism. If it is, it's a communication machine that is built to take in information rather than pass it along. Doc, do you really think that egg in there has been stealing our memory? Why not? Because it's too... too wild, that's why not. It's no wilder than a lot of other things we found. Say that that egg is a device for gathering knowledge. But there's no knowledge here to gather. I mean, how often does a ship land on an out-of-the-way melon like this? Wait a minute, Bertie. Who says that knowledge has to be collected here? What? I said, why do we assume that knowledge has to be collected right here on planet nine? We forget things back on Earth, don't we? Oh, good Lord. Suppose you were some race setting out fish traps for knowledge, and you had plenty of time to gather it. Where would you put your traps? On a planet swarming with intelligent beings where the traps would be found and destroyed or their secrets snatched away? Or would you put them out on some second-rate world where nobody would ever bother them? Good heavens, I'd pick a spot just like this. I think that some unknown race is bent on trapping knowledge throughout the galaxy. Ira, if, if what you say is true, if it is, then every time someone on Earth forgets something, it's because one of these eggs has drained it out of them. Well, it's too fantastic. Have you got a better guess? No. The question is, what do we do next? If anybody gets near that egg, he winds up like some puling little baby. You were pretty near it that first day. Did you forget anything? How should I know? I was too pleasantly lit up on grain spirits to know the difference. Well, the question is still, what now? I'm going outside to think. Ira. Yes? There is one thing to keep in mind. What is that, Doc? If those are memory traps, then there must be a way for somebody to empty them. And if we're ever going to get away from here, what's gone in has got to come out. I stood out on the platform of the ship and tried to make some sort of tavern of it. Forgetfulness. That was the key word. All through the galaxy, in every culture, there was forgetfulness. There were lots of learned theories, of course, kinks in the brain, neuroses, data processing. But suppose they were wrong. Might it not be that forgetfulness was caused by thousands upon thousands of these memory traps planted throughout the galaxy, nibbling away at the conscious memory of all the sentient beings that lived among the stars? On Earth, a man forgets slowly because the traps are far away. But here, in their very shadow, a man forgets suddenly. And then another thought entered my mind. What kind of race had set these traps? How did they empty them? How? How? Brady! Huh? Where do you keep your liquor? Not cheap. Come on, where? It's in my locker. Get it out of there, all of it. Ira. That's a direct order. Okay. All of it. That it? Yeah. I never thought I'd see the day when you pulled rank on me, Ira. If you confiscate this stuff, so help me, I'll never Who forget. said anything about confiscating? That is, have you ever really hung one on, I mean, this high-eyed drunk? Well, let's see. 
Well, there was once on Mars. Was that the worst? It was beautiful. Took me three days to sober up. They say I fought off the whole galactic patrol for hours. Well, do you think you got enough here to get that polluted again? I got a pretty good supply, Iron. Well, that's good, because in one minute, I'm going to give you a direct order to hang on the biggest, most monstrous drunk in the entire history of the universe. But first, you have to volunteer. I volunteer. No, no, no. Not until I explain why I'm doing this. Ira, this sort of project don't need reasons. It's a pleasure. Let me finish. You know that egg up in the tower? Yeah. The minute you get near it, it grabs your mind, wipes it clean, right? Yeah. And a lead space helmet doesn't shield you, as we saw with MacIver. Right. Now, Doc thinks this egg is a kind of communications thing. It must be. Okay, you're a communications man. What do you do when you can't shield the communication? Well, that's easy. You scramble it. Any fool knows. Holy mackerel. Exactly. You still game? You think it'll work? I don't know. I think it might. And suppose it doesn't. You'd be a babbling infant like Klein and MacIver. Yeah, if we don't stop that thing, it'll happen anyway. Unless we can remember how to start the engines. Okay, Ira. I'll do it. When do I start? Right now. Well, Ira, here's mud and your ever-loving intergalactic eyeballs. You know something? I'm beginning to like this mission already. Well, that kills the last bottle. How am I doing, our old buddy? You're not drunk enough. To pick somebody like Doc, except he'd probably pass out. I'm not drunk enough, huh, old buddy pal? Not yet. Well, and in which case, old buddy, I'm going to have to do something I never like to have to do. What's that? I'm going to have to go into my extra special emergency reserve supply. The little supply I keep in case of getting marooned on a planet, you know? I don't like to go into it, but in this case, it's my duty. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech and a heck of an engineer. A rambling wreck from Georgia Tech and a heck of an engineer. Woo! Blast off! Okay, I guess you're ready. What do you think, Doc? Most amazing thing I've ever seen. Is he drunk enough? What I want to know is what's keeping him conscious. Okay, bad ears on your feet. Help him up, Doc. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. Let's go, bad ears. Right. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. Somehow, we pushed, hauled, and stumbled Bad Ears Brady out of the ship and up the rocks to the egg tower. We erected a tripod over the hole with a block and tackle, passed a rope around Brady's chest, and hauled him over the entrance to the tower. There he swung like some overstuffed pig, singing raucously under the eerie moonlight. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech! Well, what do you say, Ira? You got the earphones on him so they can't slip off? They're on. I guess we're ready to lower him. Ira! Yep. You sure? It's a man's life. I'm not sure, Doc. But as commander of this expedition, I sometimes have to risk the lives of my men. Okay, I... Lower away before I start to get sober! Lower away! Blast off! Fire one! Fire two! Good luck, Brady. Good luck. 
He's at the bottom, Ira. Bad ears, can you hear me? Get your hands out of my hair. Something's got his hands in my hair, Ira. The must be picking at his brain. Brady, Brady, listen to me. Do you see the egg? See, that's my buddy, Ira. My little egghead buddy. You and me buddies, egghead, right? (laughs) Have a drink. Oh, good Lord, he's got a bottle with him. He's pouring it on the egg. Brady, Brady, listen to me. The wires. Wires? The lead wires you took in with you. Yeah. Pull out the studs on the egg and hook your wires to it. You got that? Oh, yes, I'm we and Edgar's gotta have a drink. Oh, good heavens. It's no use, Ira. He's too drunk to know what he's doing. I'll try again. Brady, listen. Your friend, the egg, can't hear you, see? He can't have a drink until you hook your wires into him. You got that? Sure. That's an awful thing. That's dreadful. Okay, okay. What's he doing? Doc, you got any impulses? Not a thing. Maybe we better haul him out. If he starts to sober up... Maybe we'd better... Okay, one, two... Whoa, wait a minute, wait. What? I'm getting something, Ira. What? This is fantastic. Oh, I'm getting something. All right, haul him out, quick. Come on. Rambling Rex from Georgia, Texas. Rambling Ready. Ready, you're all right. Doc, help me. Take a look at him. Is he okay? Yes, he's okay. Just passed out. Let's get him back to the ship. Right. You know what, Ira? What? Tomorrow about 9 a.m., we're going to be in on the most colossal hangover in the history of mornings after. We were in on more than Doc Spencer had bargained for. More than any human being had any business being in on. Oh. Well, Brady, how do you feel? Shooting. You turned the trick. The tower. You hooked into the egg. The stuff is rolling out now. Doc and the boys have got a recording hooked up. The stuff they're listening in on is enough to set your teeth on edge. What's that? The information that mind trap has been collecting for hundreds of years. It'll take us years to sort it out, but we're getting some of it straight already. Any of our own stuff? Plenty. Anything on engines? Well, not on our engines. So? We got the dope on the junkyard engine. Mac and the boys are helping to get it assembled. We're ripping out our own engines... And just keeping some of the parts. Another junkyard, huh? Another junkyard. The engine we're building now is superior to anything ever built. Pretty handy little gadget, that egg. Only one thing. What's that? Tell Doc if he comes across a good hangover remedy to let me know, huh? Oh. It took us about six days to assemble new engines using some of our parts and some of the advanced designs from the junkyard. During most of that time, Doc Spencer sat down at the tower with a set of headphones monitoring the information from the egg. He was like a man possessed. I didn't think anything unnatural was happening until the night of the sixth day. Well, that does it. The boys have got the engines ready for blast-off. Uh, there's a full moon, too. We should be able to lift her by tomorrow morning, huh? We're blasting off in exactly one minute, that is. What? In exactly one minute. But Ira, Doc, and some of the techno boys are down monitoring that egg. I know it. Well, it'll take them 20 minutes to get back into the ship with all that equipment. They're not getting back. Huh? I said they're not getting back. Ira, are you nuts? Come here, that is. I want you to take a look through this field scope. You can get a good close-up of Doc and the boys who have been monitoring that egg. Where do I get it focused? Got him? Yeah. Take a close-up. 
Mother in heaven. You see why we have to leave them here? Their faces, they're like, like some kind of beast. What is it, Ira? What's happened to them? The same thing that must have happened to the crew of the last ship that touched here. The same thing that made them blast out of here in such a tearing hurry. What? That is, there isn't only knowledge in that thing. Those boys are monitoring something else. Mm. Personality, that is. They're not human anymore. They're turning alien. They were still there when the ship roared up away from Planet Nine and pointed her silver nose toward Earth. We could see them in the scopes. A group of tiny figures crouched over the recording equipment. Their earphones plugged into the egg. They didn't even look up when we blasted off. They were no longer human now. They were something else. Something a million light years old. And of another world. To have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the Red Skelton Show. We'll hear Red as Senator Blowhard giving a rousing speech that you might say lays an egg. <laughs> Skelton's back and Friday got him. <laughs> Procter & Gamble brings you the Red Skelton Show, starring Red Skelton, Dave Rose, and his orchestra, our singing stars, the Four Knights, Verna Felton, Lorene Tuttle, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. Yes, it's the Red Skelton Show, brought to you by Tide, Procter & Gamble's amazing new discovery for your whole family watch. And now from Metro Golden Mayor, the star of our show, Red Scalp. Thank you very much and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Rod, how was your trip to Texas with Art Linkletter last Tuesday? It was wonderful. Say, you look happy tonight. Yeah, I am. I invested $500 and got me a new used car. <laughs> now, what can you get for $500? A rookin'. <laughs> okay, I drove the thing up the alley to park it in the garage And one ash can nudged the other and says, look, there's one with wheels <laughs> Quite a car, though, quite a car I've got to see it Well, it's stacked up outside here <laughs> Thing's so old, when I got licensed, I had to get upper and lower plates when you can lay down in the back. You know? Is it a convertible? Huh? Is it a convertible? Oh, yeah, I can always get my money back. <laughs> I mean, does the top go up and down? All the time. All the time. <laughs> 
I like it because it's so affectionate, you know. Affectionate? Yeah, you see, there's no brakes on it. When you come to a stop street, you should see how it snuggles up to the other car. <laughs> well, uh, how's the pickup? Well, uh, it's much better than walking, but you'd get there much quicker if you did. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I said that, brother. <laughs> Please laugh quicker. The lights are fading my suit. <laughs> no kidding. The car is so bad that you got to throw it in second to get over a pedestrian. <laughs> I want to think of something. How is it on mileage? Well, it's not too good, but I don't worry about the gas. I've got a skeleton credit card. Oh, you mean a siphon hose and a five-gallon Read can? Read your own lines. <laughs> No, not a siphon can. Those they can. I got a, a shovel and a bucket. <laughs> it burns coal, you know. Well, what kind of a car is it? I think it's a Lincoln. The beard showing through the upholstery. <laughs> well, I still can't figure out why you'd let anyone sell you a car like that. Well, what do you mean? It's a good car. Only one thing I'm worried about. I can't get tires for a 198 car, you know. <laughs> Were the tires bad, too? Well, yeah, I'm practically flat on my rims. <laughs> well, what are you going to do about tires? Well, I tried tying tennis shoes on the back wheel. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't it work? Yeah, but when I drive home late at night, it gives me the feeling somebody's following me. <laughs> Soap. Any soap? Yes, any soap. Hold your guitar there, gal. You aiming to give the impression the tide gets closed cleaner than, than, than just soap? Dead eye, if you hadn't interrupted the gal, she'd have told you Procter & Gamble's tide gets closed cleaner than any soap, any other suds, any other washing product known. Well, let me say oh, will you? <laughs> From your fussiest company linens down to your dustiest, dirtiest work clothes, tide gets your whole family wash cleaner. Because Tide not only leaves clothes free from dirt, it removes dingy soap film, too. Yet with all this miracle cleaning power, Tide is safe. Truly safe for all your washable colors. In fact, Tide actually brightens soap dull colors, perks them up amazingly. And when it comes to white things, shirts, pillowcases, table linens, in hardest water, Tide gets them whiter than any other washing product known. Tide gets them whiter, keeps them whiter week after week. Never turns them yellow. As did I would say, the woods is full of washing products, but Tide and only Tide gives you this terrific combination. The cleanest, brightest, whitest wash you ever hung on the line. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here is radio's newest sensation from the claim from the critics, that is. Uh, they're going to sing uh, the Darktown Stutters Ball, the Four Nights. I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. You better be ready by half past eight. Come on, baby, now don't be late. I want to be there when the band starts swinging. Just remember when we get there, honey. Two steps, we're going to have them all. Dance at both my shoes when they play the Jelly Roll Blues. That's tomorrow night at the Darktown Stutters Ball. Oh, 
Let me tell you, baby, I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. Be ready about half past eight. Oh, baby, don't be late. I wanna be there swinging when the band start jumping. Just remember when we get there, honey. Two steps, we gonna have them all. Then talk both of my shoes. The band played the general blue. Tomorrow night at the dark town I'll be down We have to get you in a wheelbarrow, honey Why? Taxi cab costs too much money Yes Oh, baby, don't be late Come on to be there swinging When the band starts jumping Just remember when we get there, honey Two steps, we're going to have them all That's out both my shoes When they play the general blues Oh, tomorrow night Tomorrow night Yes, tomorrow night Tomorrow night Oh, tomorrow night At the dark town stutter Now, ladies and gentlemen, the story of a man who hates speeches at a banquet. Hey, taxi, taxi! <laughs> hey, what do you want, Tom? Tell me, is the banquet over? Huh? Is the banquet over? It is for me. <laughs> they found me drinking out of the wrong punch bowl. I didn't know there was anything wrong. Till I saw the goldfish high and dry. <laughs> hey, drive me home, will you, Cabby? You go where I Sure. Why are you leaving so early? We're late. Well, I don't like those long, drawn-out speeches, you know. Yeah, I sympathize with you. Yeah. Some of those guys are windy old parts, all right. Uh, you ain't kidding. Did you know that I went to a banquet once? <laughs> and a guy got up and made his speech why Hoover should be re-elected, and before he finished... Roosevelt was in for the third turn. Tell me, Willie, uh, what happened tonight? Well, at first I got in a little trouble with the chair lady, you know, the woman chairman there, you know. She couldn't quiet the crowd down. I tried to... to make a speech? Now, will the guy please hand over her teeth, the one that got him? Maybe the microphone isn't on. Here, let me test it. Testing, testing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Jack, Queen, King. Hello, hello. I don't know. They're a bunch of rude people. I'll quiet them down. Hand me that bottle of champagne there. That did it. I want to make a little speech myself. Gentlemen and ladies. Oh, please, Mr. I... Lumplump. Address the meeting correctly. It's ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah? Certainly. Ladies are always before gentlemen. On what bus? <laughs> Please sit down. You're a disgrace to this gathering. Well, so what? I got something important to say. Something real important. Well, what is it? Hmm? What is it? Oh, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> well, 
Do you have an announcement or not? Yeah, I got it written down here on this tablecloth. I'll just have to oh, take no, it. Oh, no, don't pull that tablecloth. You'll smash all those dishes. Oh, no, I won't. Oh, yes, you will. Oh, no, I won't. Oh, yes, you will. Well, I hate to admit it, but you're right. <laughs> Oh, don't strain at your choker, will you? All right, two characters, I have an announcement to make. Due to the fact that Monday comes on Tuesday, this Wednesday, our regular Thursday meeting will be held on Friday, then Saturday, because Sunday's the holiday and I can't. (laughs) Tell me, Willie, was anybody there making a political speech? Yeah, there was one big bloke, and that's when we broke it up. He wasn't very well liked here. Senator, do you remember me? Oh, let me see, let me see. Uh, could you give me a little hint? Could you give me a hint? I was your first wife. Oh, how stupid of me. Uh, how stupid of me? Yeah. How are you, my dear? How's your mother? How's your mother? My mother. You know about my mother? Oh, of course. She's still living with me. When you sued for separate maintenance, you got the house, I got the custody of your mother, remember? <laughs> you got into politics? Well, it happened during the Depression. It was either go to work or into politics. <laughs> you know me, I take the hard way. <laughs> take your notice. I'm wearing your campaign button. Well, lift your head. Your chin's covering it a little there. <laughs> Are you insinuating that I have a double chin? Oh, no, my dear. I, you'd only have one chin. It just unfolded on you, Zong. <laughs> Oh, before you start your speech, can I get you anything? Yeah, uh, put some uh, water on the table, will you? You mean to drink? No, I'm going to stop every 15 minutes and rinse out a few things. <laughs> Will you hurry up and announce me? i got to catch a train. i, I got to get back to oh, Washington. Oh, my. You must be an important man these days. Well, the investigating committee thinks so. Are you on it? No, they're on me. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, yeah. I now give you a man you have all been waiting to meet. Yeah, up a dark alley somewhere. <laughs> a man? I've heard a lot about. Yeah, but tell them it's all lies. I'll explain everything in the investigation. I give you Senator Blowhard. Well, won't somebody join me? <laughs> my friends, before I make my speech, I'd like to say a few words. If I'm elected, I want you to know I'll be one of the best politicians that money can buy. <laughs> I intend to conduct my campaign a little different. I don't intend to stand here and throw mud at my opponents. He's a fine man. A mighty fine man. Only thing I can't understand is why he runs around with other women and neglects his children so. <laughs> I got something to say, folks. And I'm going to say it, too, just as soon as I find it here. <laughs> I got it down here. Too. I'm delighted to be here in your beautiful city. Where visitors are greeted with outstretched arms. Ah, drop dead, you bum. A city that welcomes strangers. Get out of town, sour push. You're curdling the cream of our society. <laughs> Tourists. <laughs> Hurry up and finish so we can fumigate. All I... <laughs> All I ask you to do is to use your right to vote. And if you vote for me, I hope you use it four or five times if you can. <laughs> Before we start paying our exterminator overtime. <laughs> you taxpayers. <laughs> I'm here to tell you about our party's platform. In fact, I may be here for a few weeks. Ooh. But I doubt it. Let's hear about your platform. 
I'm for labor. I'm for capital. I'm for the middle classes. And above all, I'm for Mother's Day. <laughs> yes, sir, you put me in office and I'll put a mother in every garage. <laughs> Prosperities will be everybody's. Not only will one night be Saturday night, but every night Saturday night. That's without bad. <laughs> Not only will a few with money be able to paint the town red, but all of us paint the town red. I got news for you, Doc. The few things that are painting the town red now ain't got a chance because too many of us like the white and blue paint that goes with it. Here, hey, here. you big ham. Here's something to go with you. Ooh, who threw that egg? Please, I think you'd better sit down, Mr. Blowhard. They're throwing things. No, sir, I've got freedom of speech over here. Joe said I was to use it, too. <laughs> yes, sir, and I'll use it by all the power that's infected and injected in me. Here, take that. Here, here, stop it. Please, friends, if you're going to throw eggs, take them out of the chickens first. <laughs> And now David Rose and his Procter and Gamble Orchestra will play Sunrise Serenade.
Thank you, Dave Rose. A page from the Mean Little Kid's Diary. Have you ever tried to keep a secret from a youngster? Well, it's almost impossible. And sometimes it can be embarrassing, too, especially if it's Junior, the mean little kid. Lorene, dear, you'd better hurry or you'll be late for work. Oh, I dread going to work today, Mother. It's the beginning of the store's big fall sale. Oh, where's Junior? Junior! Yes, kiddo? Come kiss Mother goodbye. I'm going to work now. Okay, okay. Okay, pucker up, pucker up. Oh, goodness, you smeared my lips. Well, look, you smeared me chocolate frosting, too. <laughs> oh, look at my face. Boy, you got so chocolate heavy, from heavy. ear to ear. <laughs> Mother, why do you let him lick your frosting bowl so early in the morning? I didn't let him lick the bowl. In fact, my frosting isn't done yet. Oh, I got a newsflash, kiddo. It's done and gone. <laughs> We'll discuss that later, too. Okay. Oh, now, now, you look all right, dear. Hurry or you'll miss the bus. Oh, you'll miss your bus. Goodbye, dear. Bye, Junior dear. and I will probably see you this afternoon. Yes. Oh, no, Mother, please. You must not bring Junior to my department. But why? Now, why? It's a new rule at the store. No salesperson who has a youngster is permitted to work there. No kidding. It's a part of their new juvenile delinquency program. Say to your hell. <laughs> and if Mr. Fishplace, the manager, finds out that I have a C-H-I-L-D... It's curtains. C-H-I-O-D, huh? So that's how you spell brat, huh? <laughs> oh, there's my bus. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Watch out for me roller skate. Get up, get up. What, look at her sitting there talking to a roller skate. Get up. <laughs> Run, you missed the bus. Hurry, Run. Hurry, Run. you missed the bus. Hurry. 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 Did she make it? Her head did. <laughs> running along the side of the bus there. What? Oh, Junior, why do you frighten me? She got on the bus. I know. I just like to see your eyeballs pop out, John. <laughs> oh, boy, how mothers brood over their widow brood, you know. <laughs> Let's get cleaned up, Junior. Now, take you shopping with me. Oh? You gonna take some money with you, or are you going to wear the coat with the loose sleeves again? <laughs> Junior, don't talk about me as if I were a shoplifter. Now, let's get to the store before the best things are all picked over. Junior? Junior, where are you? Oh, if you don't watch him every second, he disappears. Uh, Could I help you, madam? I'm the store detective. Oh, yes, please. I've lost my little grandson. He couldn't by any chance be in one of your loose sleeves. No. Well, don't worry, madam. I'll find him. I'll have him back with you inside of ten minutes. Couldn't you make it twenty? <laughs> I'll go with you. Oh, good. Now, where should we start looking for him? Well, let's go down this aisle here, where all the people are rubbing their shins. He'll be around there someday. Now, wait. The elevator's just coming down. I'll ride up to the lost and found department and see if they know anything about it. All right. <laughs> Boy, I never had so much fun with a hat pin in all me life. It must be him. Uh, come with me, son. Yeah, not so fast, fat boy. Not so fast. <laughs> boy, my mummy told me never to go with strangers who offered me candy. Not offering you any candy. You will when I put the pressure on you. <laughs> I've got him, lady. Uh, little boy, don't you know it's dangerous to carry a hat pin around like that? <laughs> 
know, but nobody crowded me when I was on the elevator, boy. Junior! Hey, Nemo, you found me just in time. This big blimp was trying to kidnap me. <laughs> He's the star detective. Oh, a detective. Well, in that case, I'll just kick him in the shit. Oh, now, what did you do that for? Suppose I was the four-walker. What would you have done? The same thing. I got a one-track mind. Junior! Junior, stop that. You couldn't have. Stop that. What have I told you about kicking people with your new shoes on? <laughs> Thank you, officer, for helping me. Yes. It's quite all right. Quite all right. Well, goodbye, little boy. Hello. Let me know when you rob your first bank. Yes. <laughs> Junior, hmm? did you have to kick that nice man in the shins? Yes. Why? That short legs couldn't reach any higher. <laughs> well, from now on, you stay with me. Okay, I stay with you. Oh, look. They're having a sale on slacks. Well, wait for me. Wait. Now, where did she go through the people? I can't see. What does she want with slacks? Anyhow, they won't look good on her. She ain't fat enough to wear them. <laughs> now, what can I do with me with yourself here all alone? Oh, well, look. There's the notion counter. I'll just go over. Maybe I'll get a notion. <laughs> I can't do the notion. Well, look who is behind the counter. Me mummy. I better pretend I don't know her or she'll lose her job. <laughs> Oh, lady. Yes, little boy. <gasps> Junior! Well, yeah, it's just me. Please, please, don't get so familiar with your customers, please. Now, I told your grandmother not to bring you here. Why, don't you love me anymore, Mommy? Of course I love you, Junior. No, you don't. You don't want me around because you don't love me anymore. Yes, I do, darling. No, you don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> but you see, this store has a rule. No rule. And if I want to keep my job, nobody must know that you're my child. You just don't love it. How much is it worth to you for me to keep my mouth shut? Now, look, you can't bribe me. Huh? And you just wait until I get you home. Here, now, don't you... Oh, dear! What's the matter? What's wrong? Here comes the store manager, Mr. Fishplace. Oh, oh. Oh, here, too. Here's a dollar. Pretend you don't know me. Oh, I wouldn't take you money. I was only fooling, mummy. Then give that dollar back. I ain't that much of a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Anything wrong, Lorene? No, no, Mr. Fishplace, no? nothing at all. I was just waiting on this nice little boy. Yeah. Oh, my, my. You are a fine young man. <laughs> uh, where's your mother? Out looking for the stork with a shotgun. <laughs> Should I tell him where my mother is? No, 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 no. Place. I happen to know that this little boy came here with his grandmother. Yes, yes. Oh, in that case, uh, where is your grandmother? She's from? in the book department. Oh, she's literary. No, she's a bookie. <laughs> Junior. Boat of Phoenix Felton, they calls her. Would you care to lay a couple of bucks on some pig in the third at Pimlico? <laughs> Sardine boy? His name is Fishface. Fishface! Huh? Fish I'm not here to strike up new friendships. I want to buy something. I uh, want to buy something. Doreen, will you take care of the little boy? I certainly will. He don't mean that way. He don't mean that way. Very well. <laughs> little boy, what is it you want? I'd like to buy something for me, Mummy. Oh, now that's sweet. Yeah. What, for instance? Oh, maybe some bobby socks with some bobby pins to hold them up with. Well, what size stocking does your mother wear? Well, does you have anything that'll fit a ball bat? Hmm? <laughs> what? Yeah, you just stand a baseball bat on a surfboard and you got the right size, boy. <laughs> just wait until I get you home. Careful, careful. Old face faces looking. Old oh. face faces looking. Well, uh, maybe you just better take the bobby pins. Yes, I'll take the bobby pins. Would you wrap them as a gift, please? Now, look, this is a little ridiculous. Oh, it is, huh? You better wrap it as your gift, boy, that lobby pin pack, or this place is going to smell from broken perfume bottles. No, no, don't touch that sack of bottles. That's... I'll wrap the package of pins. Good, that's better. 
On second thought, you better wrap them separately. <laughs> it's more fun when you get a lot of packages, you know. On third, I'll take some of that perfume over there. I'll get it right there. I'll get Will that for you. Get out of here. No, I want that bottle of perfume, the one at the bottom of the stack. Oh, right no! Here. Get the air away! Quick! Get the air away! <laughs> What's happened over here? Little boy, I think we'd better find your grandmother. You don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. The minute I heard that crash. Well, Lorene, aren't you going to punish the boy? Why, madam, why should I? Well, you're his mother, aren't you? You're his what? Oh, oh, what have I done? You let the cat out of the upset apple cart, blabbermouth. <laughs> What's this about you being the boy's mother? I don't know what he's talking about. Oh, no. She's never seen this child before. Nemo, you better hurry and think of something fast because old Fish Snoot here is going to fire her and you'll have to go back to your old job in television as a stand-in for Gorgeous George. (laughs) Well, I'm waiting for an answer. My good man, you don't think this girl could be this boy's mother, do you? Well, now that you mention it, they do look a lot alike. Oh, we does, does we? Well, smarty pants, then which one of us has the Tony? Thanks for being with us tonight. We hope you liked our program well enough to be with us next week. So until next Friday... This is Red Skelton saying goodbye now. Thanks for listening and thanks for buying more and more of that Wash Day miracle, Tide. Tide in, dirt out. Tide gets clothes cleaner than any soap. T-I-T-E, Tide. Listen to the life of Riley coming on. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by Burns and Allen. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.